0: Relationships have ups and downs, right? Relationships come with drama, right? So that is what you understand, right, of that. Then your worthiness is going to be tied by, oh, well, okay, well, if nobody ever taught me that I'm worthy of peace and I'm worthy of generosity in relationships just by being me. Then I can be easily taught that, oh, I need to work for these things. I need to do more for you to be kind, Welcome to the Unconditionally Worthy
1: Podcast. In this podcast, I will guide you on your journey to connect with the true source of your self-worth. Each week, we'll discuss barriers to unconditional self-worth, the connection between self-worth and relationships, self-worth practices you can apply to your life, and how to use self-worth as a foundation for living courageously. I'm your host, Dr. Adia Gooden a licensed clinical psychologist, dance enthusiast, and a dark chocolate lover who believes deeply that you are worthy unconditionally. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Unconditionally Worthy podcast We are thoroughly in winter in Chicago. We had a big snowstorm earlier this week, and I am so grateful to work from home. I uh, basically don't leave the house these days, which I probably would not recommend. It's probably not the healthiest thing to not be getting outside, but hopefully I'll get myself out and taking walks again sometime soon, but with all the snow on the ground and Probably some ice, I'm I'm gonna try to be careful and I'm gonna give myself the excuse that I'm pregnant, so it's okay. I have been working out though, so I'm getting a little movement even though I'm staying inside. And, you know, I've also hit this sort of sweet spot in my pregnancy where I'm like enjoying it finally. If you'd asked me in the first trimester or even the very beginning of the second trimester, I was like, no, this is, my body does not like this, but I'm feeling pretty good and I'm enjoying it. I'm one week away from trimester three. So we'll see what that has to bring. At any rate, I'm excited to share this episode with you today. I talk with Dr. Ayana Abrams. She is a psychologist, she has a wealth of information, a wealth of wisdom related to black women, related to black couples and doing couples therapy. And we talk about all of those things as well as how she thinks about self-worth and how her own self-worth journey has evolved. So listen in as always, I would love for you to leave a rating or review and let us know what you think. Let's get into the show. So I'm really excited to welcome Dr. Ayana Abrams to the podcast this week. Dr. Abrams is a licensed clinical psychologist in Georgia. She is the CEO and founder of Ascension Behavioral Health. She enjoys providing culturally relevant mental health consultation and creating training workshops for organizations, schools, churches, hospitals, and other media who look to improve how they understand and talk about mental health and wellness. In her practice, she works with individuals, couples, and groups to assist with mental health functioning and overall relationship satisfaction and wellness. Dr. Abrams has been featured in the New York Times, Essence, Allure, and Mind Body Green, as well as Afropunk, Peace of Mind with Taraji on Facebook Watch, Therapy for Black Girls, and Silence the Shame. She is the co-founder of Not So Strong, an initiative to improve the mental health and relationship functioning of Black women through the use of vulnerable storytelling. So I am so excited and honored, Dr. Ayana, that you are taking the time to talk with me today and be on the podcast. So welcome. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me and thank you for having me. Wonderful. So I'd love to start our conversation where I start with all of my guests, which is by asking you
0: to share a bit about your own self worth journey. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember when I um, when I first was looking at a list of questions, I was just like, "Oh, easy, easy." Hard answer, right? It's just a whole lot of therapy, right? It's just like, it it took me getting some assistance outside of myself, right? To be able to like reconnect and kind of come back into myself. As I've noted in kind of the various spaces in my bias, I'm the daughter of Caribbean immigrants. So being born and raised in the U.S. um, to parents who were new to the U.S., a lot of that stuff can get really fragmented, right? About how I understood myself. If I saw people who looked like me, who sounded like my family, um, who did the same things, had the same kind of rules, and there wasn't much of that around me. Um, So I think that can really begin contributing to this kind of distanced sense of self, right? Because I I didn't have like much grounding in like, oh, okay, this is kind of the clear, the clear part of you that exists in all these different spaces that wasn't as actively fostered um, for me. So I didn't start kind of coming into even understanding what self-worth was as as something that I could actually like work on and figure out and learn and contribute to um, until I was a bit older, which I think happens for a lot of people moving through adolescence and young adulthood trying to figure some of the things out. Um, but it really wasn't until I got into my current therapeutic relationship with the psychologist, who I see, uh, that I was actually able to get just active practice at mm. that and really looking at when I became detached from that. Had I ever really developed it right in the first place? Am I like putting mm-hmm. this together of something or am I now creating it? And for me, and I think for a lot of other people, it's a bit of both, right? There are some things that have been been created along the way. Um, And in adulthood, you're learning kind of what works and what doesn't work. Um, But but therapy has been the main space that's allowed me to actually just like really focus on Mm. that because the world has its own way of of pulling you away from yourself. So
1: yeah, yeah. Are there things in particular that stand out to you in your own therapy that have really helped you to reconnect with the fact that you're
0: worthy? Mm-hmm. you know specific things around without me getting a whole box about capitalism right like what does it mean in terms of how I understand relate to connect to certain identities that I have so my identities as a you know a daughter of Caribbean immigrants or my identity as a psychologist or my identity as a black woman or my identity as um, you know someone who is agnostic right what does it mean want mm-hmm. me to name those identities? see how congruent they are for me. And then what kinds of spaces am I in that either support those identities um, or create some distance between me and those identities, right? What are the spaces and always looking at what are the space and the, and the relationships that I was willing to be in that either supported those or detracted from me connecting to those identities mm-hmm. and really looking at, what kind of energy I was surrounding myself with? What I was ingesting in terms of news and media? Um, what was I telling myself about my role in people's lives or in the world? Um, and oftentimes, that that's that's always my work is like this this narrative that I have of myself as it relates to this person or that position or that venture or something like mm. that. Always coming back to, well, what are you telling yourself before you say yes to something? Hmm. What are you what are you telling yourself before you say no to something like what's the criteria that you have to determine um, how you're walking in the world and always just kind of coming back to, well, what are you using to make that decision? Are you using anxiety? Are you using this narrative that you're not good enough? So you got to do more? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it? Like, what are you telling yourself before and as you make some of these decisions? Um, And that's usually the common piece. How am I talking Mm -hmm to myself? Um, and how am I allowing others to talk to me in those mm-hmm. ways? Those are all, always things that factor into it. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's really helpful to hear that. I hear in what you're saying, a lot of unpacking and mm-hmm. oh, yeah. awareness, right? Sort of this consciousness, because I do think it's really easy to For us to go through life without an awareness of the narratives that we're creating, of the thoughts that we're holding on to and the ideas that we're internalizing from the world and sort of just operate as though all of these things are truth, even though they really may not be true for us or helpful to us. And so I love what you're saying about let me what. What am I telling myself about Mm -hmm. myself? What is motivating me to say yes or no to this? How am I talking to myself and thinking about all of those elements so that you can find and get to your truth and live that out? so that, you know, your identities and you sort of named a number of things, whether it be ethnicity and, you know, nationality, legacy, religious, spiritual orientation, right? There's so many messages that we receive about those things Mm -hmm. and often they're implicit. And so even, I think we know as psychologists, sometimes implicit messages are easier to soak in than explicit ones. Because if somebody says people from the Caribbean are blah, 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 Then we're like, that's not true. Like my family, Mm -hmm. my cousin, you know, I actually, my dad's Jamaican. So it's like, we're like, that's not true, right? We can, we were having a conversation before about our small world. So this is just another Mm -hmm. point of connection, right? But, you know, we can sort of explicitly say, well, that, that doesn't make sense. Mm. But if you see these images and you see these stereotypes and you, see somebody from a Caribbean community being treated mm. poorly, or whatever it is, sometimes that's actually harder to defend yourself against. And so the unpacking and using therapy as a space to unpack that and decide what do I really believe about myself? And what kind of messages do I want to take in that are affirming and uplifting, I think is really powerful.
0: Yeah, that that a lot of my work, and I think a lot of work um, with regard to self worth, is about discernment and curiosity. Right, mm-hmm. you being able to discern, like, oh, it's so ingrained that that sounds like it's my voice who's saying all those things about myself, right? And and having spaces and having kind of this curiosity enough to impact, like, what if that wasn't your voice? What if that doesn't? What if that no longer has to be your voice? Can you change that? Can you rewrite the narrative? Um, so just being able to cycle your cycle yourself through um you know curiosity and discernment which is different from judgment and you know the criticisms and the and the right. shaming right of it it's such a totally different process that actually allows room to say oh that was my narrative it can now be this or like oh that was their narrative of me that didn't have to be mine what do i actually want to be mine it's just coming in and out of that kind of process and that kind of exploration is what can what has helped me improve right and and get more grounded and more um Solid, right. And what I know of myself, Mm -hmm. what I understand of, you know, quote unquote value, I feel towards myself or that I offer the world. Um, And that also helps me streamline what I'm saying yes and what I'm saying no to because I can come Mm -hmm. back to like, okay, I have this home base. Now I can make decisions from there versus all this kind of reactivity. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's so helpful. So I think that sort of this conversation lends itself well to my next question for you, which is how do you conceptualize of self-worth? Like when you think about that, what framework do you have around it or or what, how do you think about it?
0: Yeah. And I think it's a it's a great question and, and how I've always understood and how I continue to understand self-worth is that kind of home base. Right. What is your own understanding, insight, awareness about your worthiness in the world and worthiness Mm -hmm. as it relates to different aspects of your life, right? So there is, you know, worthiness that you find in relationships. There is love and romantic love worthiness. There is career worthiness, right? But what Mm -hmm. is your narrative that you have about your own worthiness and or deservedness, right, in the world? And oftentimes, right, and what we, what we learn, particularly in, in, this hemisphere um, is that's related to a lot of external factors, right? That's related to productivity and output and how much you do for other people and how much you like sacrifice and neglect yourself for other people and being able to retrain yourself that who are you before those roles? Mm-hmm. Who are you without those roles? Kind of what's the mm-hmm. narrative that you have about your own sense of worthiness and deservedness um, to be wherever you are and however you are without the doing. Without the doing, mm-hmm. without the over functioning, without any of those things, how would you describe who and how you are? Yeah, I love that. that that's it's, one of the hardest practices for me. I'd say, well, you know, mm-hmm. well, I'm a daughter, I'm a this, I'm a this, and my therapist would say, that's not what I asked you.
1: It's the roles. It's the roles that, you know, that we're socialized into that we're affirmed for. Mm -hmm. Right. That we're validated. I'm a good student. I'm a good this. I'm a good, you know, whatever. Right. I embody this role. And It really does. It is sort of, I would say, countercultural to Mm -hmm. slow down enough to connect to the being parts of ourselves that aren't about the roles. And I like to think about the roles as containers for how we show up in the Mm -hmm. world, but not, you know, like not the whole thing. So one of the things Mm -hmm. with the framework I think about this in, and I'd love to hear your thoughts since you're also Mm -hmm. a therapist, which is that I do my best work as a therapist when I'm less focused on the role and the tasks mm-hmm. of like, what is a good therapist supposed to do, right? And yes, there are there are frameworks, there are guidelines, right? I'm not saying I throw all of that out at, at the window, but my most effective work with clients is when I am being with them, mm-hmm. and when I show up with my presence, with my attention, right, with my care and that that being energy then translates into me understanding what they need to hear what questions i need to ask and where we move right because it's about the relationship which we know is the most powerful aspect of therapy but it's it's in the being of therapy in the presence in in all of that more than to me the tactical the skills the i'm filling this role in this way That makes therapy powerful. And so that's I like to think about, right, like, okay, I have a container, which is a role as a therapist Mm -hmm. and how I show up in that container can be powerful or cannot be powerful. And Mm -hmm. if I'm not playing that therapist role, I can still bring those parts of me to other aspects of my life
0: yeah I love that it it's a it reminds me of what we talk about in terms of presence. how present are you in that space and i and and on the flip side of that i I actually notice when I'm not kind of embodying right who I want to be in that space when I'm thinking too much
2: mm-hmm. when I start
0: thinking about like all this stuff and I find myself asking a lot of questions right That's when I know like, oh, you just exited like you just stepped out of mm-hmm. something something's coming up in terms of like some role that I need to play or I need to assess and I need to do this and I need to oftentimes it comes around the place i need to to you got to get better. Something, something's creating distress in me about your distress that you're showing me. So I'm trying to problem yes. solve it. I'm trying to like do all these things. And it, oftentimes when I slow down and I'm just like, oh man, that really sounds like it sucks. Totally different space, totally yes. different space that we're in. I am less anxious. They might still be anxious because I'm not trying to remove that mm-hmm. from them. Right. But that is also why the therapeutic relationship is very different. That's why they call it one of these, you know, atypical social relationships it's not like your friendships and your relationship with your family where they will do all those kinds of things, right? We are trained in the being of this. Can you or can, how can we hold space
2: with people? Mm-hmm. And if we
0: don't already know how to do that, and say like, oh, this relationship of us committing to being here in this moment is, is the work, right? If I can't honor that and get in there with that, I also can't help them i'm doing the same thing they're doing in their heads trying to yeah. make it go away trying to do all this stuff i'm doing the same thing that mama did today <laughs> like this is this is not helpful right for them obviously at some point we get more structured and we can talk about different strategies and all that kind of stuff right but that gets into those kinds of things tend to get in the way of the being um, and then not being able to be gets in the way of the empathy and oftentimes yeah. that's what looking for. Can you hear what I have to say? Can you hold this therapist? Can Mm -hmm. you, can I say all my worst, darkest, scariest, whichever stuff and you can hold it? And that's what we're wanting to show them. And that requires a being to say, oh yeah, it doesn't mean I'm not affected by it. It doesn't mean something's not happening internally. It doesn't mean that I'm not even maybe um, getting activated externally, depending on what you're sharing, but I can hold it and also model that for Mm -hmm. you. So I know that when I'm starting to Think about more questions to ask. Ask more questions. Get super, super like concrete, like all this stuff. I know, like, oh, mm-mm, you're getting disconnected. You got to come and like slow this whole session. <laughs> you got to slow this session down. So it's a really helpful cue. To yeah. Use when I find starting to do that, being something, something just got you. Know, Button just got pushed for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it's like I mean, this is part of the reason. What you're describing is the reason why. It's so important for therapists to do their own work, (laughs) you know, like for us to have our own therapy and our own spaces Mm -hmm. where we are aware of what triggers us, what makes us uncomfortable, what pulls us into fix-it mode, Mm -hmm. um, what we have trouble sitting with, right? And to have that consultation. And it's also, I think, what's often misunderstood about Therapy. And I think in some ways, how people are most helped, right? Because so often we hear sort of the common narrative in out in the world, you know, social sphere, like, well, I don't know what to say, or like, I'm just going to give them advice. And basically, then you get frustrated because they're not going to take your advice. You're annoyed and you're annoyed. And people are like, and then people are like, well, how is therapy going to help? It's just talking. And it's like, (laughs) well, it's not just talking. Right, no so we, we didn't, you know, get our doctorates for just to chat with you. Yes. I don't have all these loans to be a little right. friend. Right. Right. <laughs> I hope that's not the only thing I learned. <laughs> but it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's this holding space, which is this abstract piece. And part of it, and I do think this relates to affirming someone's worthiness, is mm-hmm. even when you tell me the worst thing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: I'm not going to run away from you. Right, I'm not going to end the session early. I'm not going to say, "Okay, we'll just cope with it in these these three Mm -hmm. strategies, and then it'll be fine." Mm -hmm. Right, that I'm going to create space in myself to feel like, "Ooh, like I Mm -hmm. am so sorry that you're going through that, and I'm going to give you space so that we Mm -hmm. can sit here." And I'm going to say, "I'm I'm here. I may not Mm -hmm. even know right now how to help you out of this." But what I, what I do know is I'm here with you in the muck and I'm not running away and I'm not scared. And Mm. I think you're worthy of me showing up for you and Mm. with you, even in this worst thing you think you could possibly tell me moment, right. And that there's so much power that's communicated that in that, right. That's beyond the like, well, let me just give you some tips and tricks to, you
2: know, manage this, um, whatever
0: it is. Hmm. Hmm. And that, and and that being, as you you had just said, kind of at the end, that being connected to your worthiness also doesn't need to exist in this isolation. I can be there mm-hmm. with you in this, right? And ideally, that can serve as this modeling of like, okay, how do we also then, you know, find ways where people also can also support us outside of therapy, right? In that same way, right? But it's also a a modeling of a value that says, oh, you don't deserve to have to go through this by yourself, Mm -hmm. right? I'm sad for you that you have had to for whatever reasons in your life or whatever you believe that you have to do. But this can also begin to kind of reset and kind of retrain like, oh, you don't have to do this by yourself. You can change that that narrative because you are deserving of support. You are deserving of somebody who can hold this with you, who can get in the ring with you, right? As a Mm -hmm. means to you getting whatever it is that you need. And oftentimes therapy is the, the first and maybe the only space, right? That people can have that experience.
1: Yeah. And this is making me think about, you know, the initiative you have not so strong, right? Mm -hmm. Which is in support of Black women. And I think for Black women, it often feels like a luxury to just be. Mm -hmm. And we're often socialized into doing, doing, doing for other people. And and that there isn't, there isn't that much room for being vulnerable, for slowing down, for acknowledging the hurt and the pain. And so I'd love to hear just a little bit more about how you think about that initiative and how you think it's, you know, helpful um, yeah. for Black women in particular.
0: Yeah. And I think, you know, literally that's, that's how Not So Strong came about. So um, Dr. Kim, she is a psychiatrist up in um, Charlottesville, Virginia. We are best friends from college. And we were just having a, a mundane conversation. I think she was talking something about her kids. Something was going on. And at some point in the conversation, I think she had said something like, man, I wish I didn't have to be, you know, this strong all the time. I was like, I, I wish there, there was room for us to be not so strong all the time. And I was just like, I know I'm like a serial entrepreneurship, but that sounds like something. Like, that sounds like. So yeah, we weren't thinking about this in a like, clinical way, but just out of this experience of like, hey, you get to be not so strong with me. And we might be the only mm-hmm. people in which we can talk about this in this way, but we know that we also deserve more, right? Than than um it having to be only this kind of a, a conversation. Um so that's where it all started, and obviously, because we're both in the um in the mental health. Field, right? It was just about you know thinking and creating spaces in education, right? For what vulnerability actually is, like what it is as a practice, why it is difficult, why it feels mm. really scary, what it risks, right? But just kind of offering Black women ways to to rethink vulnerability, but also offering spaces where we're, we're rooting it contextually and why it's so hard. It's not hard because you are bad or wrong or deficient, right? It is hard because the world has created it to be harder for us to engage mm. in that. And, and what we also found and have found, right, um, is that with this, I'd say the last five to 10 years, right, there's more of this push in terms of be vulnerable, be brave, say all this stuff. And we're just like, mm. yeah, that's, that's great. But if it's decontextualized, it's actually dangerous for Black women
2: mm-hmm. to do that,
0: right? Certain kinds of vulnerability with certain kinds of people is risky to our lives, is risky to our livelihood, is risky to our recreation. So really having to like offer actually a much more contextualized frame of what vulnerability could look like and mean for you. It's not this Mm. thing to do all the time and with everybody. It's not. And there's also the difference between, you know, vulnerability and storytelling, right? Just saying Mm -hmm. things, kind of telling things that happen isn't you being vulnerable, Y'all think that it is. That's not vulnerability though, right? Um, so, so to offer, offer Black women spaces in which we, we can talk about the cultural context and some of the, how paradoxical, right, a practice mm. of vulnerability can be. And this is why you need kind of skills and tools and practice in terms of like, how do I vet what's going on with vulnerability for me? Who is safe enough to practice that with? Who do I repeat myself to versus when do I need to move around mm. in this because if you read all the books about vulnerability, it says, go be vulnerable with your boss. Tell them all your mental health histories. Just do it. And I'm just like, no, hold up. Hold up. Not, mm-hmm. not just you, not just yet. right? Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this. Let's think about this. Um, so it's been a really, really beautiful way, um, not only for my relationship with my best friend to even deepen, um, but also mm-hmm. to provide women, women um, some more space, women and femmes some more spaces. And there's also a reason that we specifically focus on vulnerability in platonic a more familiar relationship Mm. with Black women, because the world constantly talks about romantic love, right? And kind of has Mm -hmm. romantic love on this pedestal as that, that's the kind of love that makes you worthy, right? Particularly Mm -hmm. for Black women, if you are not in proximity to a man romantically, right? Then you are not successful. Mm -hmm. You're not this, you're not this. So he said, you know what? The world is doing enough work in that realm. And what has always been um, the safest space for Black women has been other Black women. Um, so we actually really focus on mother daughter relationships, um, relationships between sisters and relationships between black women, friends, black women, hmm. girlfriends as a means to kind of reconnect them to those as their sources and their resources of this kind of empowerment. Um, because what we see clinically, what we see in the research, right, is that oftentimes um, because those relationships aren't as prioritized and romantic relationships are prioritized when those romantic relationships get murky and get muddy, Mm -hmm. black women also don't have a lot of people to talk to about Mm -hmm. it because they haven't cultivated strong relationships with platonic black women in their lives. Mm -hmm. So now they're more isolated. They're more at risk for self harm They're more at risk for depression, anxiety, all of that stuff. So we see the full cycle of um, the importance of being able to, to be more rooted and grounded in those kinds of relationships as you can, depending on what the relationships are and all Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff uh, to actually help support black women as they navigate up, the relationships in their lives versus the other way around, uh, which mm-hmm. society always teaches us get yeah, focus on finding a romantic partner. And that's all you need versus like, no, no, no. Black women have always needed each other. Oh, mm-hmm. and that's not going to stop now. So how do we help black women repair and kind of create and recreate those kinds of relationships in their lives?
1: Mm. I love the the nuance that mm-hmm. you are adding to this Topic and conversation of vulnerability and the specific sort of centering black women in that conversation. And I also love that you're centering non-romantic relationships, mm-hmm. which are so important. And I think you do couples therapy. I'm going to ask you a little bit about that. I mm-hmm. do couples therapy and or I do couples therapy and mm-hmm. we know that relationships do not thrive. Romantic relationships do not thrive when either partner is isolated and and is depending Mm -hmm. on their partner for everything, right? Mm -hmm. And they have no friendships and they have no connections outside of their relationships. It's sort of this fantasy that we have created in modern American culture, but it's really not helpful. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I love that you all are sort of thinking, helping people to think about what this looks like and also provide tools. Because I think, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the benefits of social media is that we can sort of get people to think about a lot of different topics in a simple way. But I think the challenge is that it's really hard to be nuanced, right? And so it just becomes be vulnerable. Vulnerability is strong. You should just Mm -hmm. be vulnerable without, Mm -hmm. as you're saying, these really important tools to keep yourself safe and protected, right? Mm -hmm. Similar conversations with boundaries, like set boundaries, cut people off, just say no. And it's like, okay. And right, like, if you're really going to do this to, to build relationships, right. And, and maintain relationships, you need a little bit more nuance. And so I really love that you all are providing that, um, that sort of support
0: and, um, <laughs> education
1: in that, in that area.
0: Yeah. You know? Thank you. It's been great, which we're trying to relaunch some things, but yeah, but that is what, that is what the space is, is rooted in and, and just being able to invite more women and femmes into into that mm-hmm. kind of space, into into this as a practice—not a perfect practice, but into this as a lifelong um, practice.
1: Yeah. Well, I'd love to get your insight on how you feel our sense of worthiness influences our relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Be that relationships with family and friends. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you know often our relationships with our parents and. How those went when we were we were a kid and even how they go as an adult really set the stage for how worthy um, we feel or we don't feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And also romantic relationships. Like, how do you think this whole this idea of how we see ourselves, how we affirm ourselves, what we believe we're worthy of influences the relationships that we have with other people?
0: Yeah, I think that, that our relationship with ourselves and that narrative that we have about ourselves is the core of how we relate to any other people, right? now, so as we know, a lot of that learning begins in early childhood, right? Who are the people who we are most exposed to? How are they speaking to us? Um, how are they teaching us to speak to them and others? It really starts at a very, very, very young age. Pre-verbal, right, where we're just kind of receiving messages. We're, we're looking and we're hearing different things in our environment, um, and oftentimes people don't understand that. We understand that, right? as therapists, as researchers. But many, many people do not understand how those things become ingrained. They're literally kind of in our bones, right? of how we understand how we can be in the world and how safe we can be in the world. And depending on what we understand about that, safety sets the foundation, right, for what things we're looking for in other relationships. And as we know, you know most people either repair or they repeat. Right, mm-hmm. a lot of those patterns that they learn again, even if it was pre-verbal. So, depending on the the language that you are, you know, modeled and, modeled and developing, you and this could be, you know, early childhood, middle childhood, um, adolescence. Right, that stage for how you navigate any of these relationships and whether you find yourself looking inward, then if you find yourself looking outward in. And oftentimes, because this is not modeled, right, because our parents don't have this understanding, our grandparents don't have this understanding, we end up looking outward, then inward, right? I need mm-hmm. you to choose me, and then I can choose me a little bit more, but I need you to choose me first mm-hmm. versus what does it look like for me to choose me first, right? And then that will help me, right, um, that will help me navigate who I get to choose, right, from then on, based on kind of what, what um, options are, kind of where I am, all that kind of stuff, right? But without having affirm or learning how to continue to create a firmer narrative, right, of how we view ourselves and our values, how we think about and how we relate to different feelings and experiences in our body. So for instance, if you have never learned to really listen or kind of look at your vital signs, right, as um, as part of how you take care of yourself. So if I'm not paying attention to the fact that I'm tired or I'm hungry or I feel lonely or I feel agitated, right, if I'm not learning that at a young age, those are not things that I'll be paying attention to in terms of, oh, how do I feel when I'm with this person? How do I, mm. do I feel, you know, a bit more like tense? Do I feel, da, 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 right? Mm-hmm. If I don't know anything about using that as a cue that tells me like, oh, mm, I get to feel different than this, right? I'm, I'm worthy of feeling different than this in these kinds of relationships, then we don't do anything about it. We can't set boundaries in a different way. We can't ask for things to be different. We can't even name our feelings, right? And say that, mm-hmm. hey, I'm feeling this way. I don't want to feel that way anymore. All of that being connected to our sense of worthiness and language we have around that that says, oh, I don't have to feel that way, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, I, uh, and or the other piece, the other side of that is I don't have to work this hard to earn that, whatever mm-hmm. I think that, that might be, right? A lot mm-hmm. of a lot of worthiness, kind of what we understand of how we are in relationships is that I need to work hard for that, particularly as black Mm -hmm. women, right? That they they say, you know, relationships are hard. Relationships have ups and downs, right? Relationships come with drama, right? So that is what you understand, Mm -hmm. right, of that. Then your worthiness is going to be tied. Oh, well, okay. Well, nobody ever taught me that I'm worthy of peace and I'm worthy of generosity in relationships Mm -hmm. just by being me, right? Then I can be easily taught that, oh, I need to work for these things. I need to do more for you to be kind, me, I need to do more for you to not talk to me any old way, right? Mm-hmm. So if I don't have that foundation that says, again, you deserve peace, you deserve ease, you deserve respect, um, you deserve mm-hmm. safety. If I don't understand those things as already core, right? Oh, you get those things because you're here already. You don't got to mm-hmm. do nothing else for those things. I'm more than likely going to find myself working for those mm-hmm. things. Nobody ever taught me that those things are inherent to my existence, right? Mm-hmm. So your relationships begin replicating kind of not replicate. your relationships begin reflecting right this work that you think that you have to do in order to get those things. right So again, if, if um, without having that kind of foundation, that kind of grounding that I get to feel like this because I exist without mm-hmm. any work, right That is worthiness. I get I'm worth those things. I'm worth having those experiences. I deserve those experiences without having to do for them, uh, we're already setting our relationships off on the right path, on the wrong path, right. right? But other people then begin to dictate what worthiness is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't leave us, um, it doesn't leave us in more of that control. We're now dependent on other people to determine for us. And we know that just sets us up on a cycle. If you're dependent mm-hmm. on other people for some of those things, you will always be dependent on other people for those things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it also sets you up for, Feeling like if somebody isn't giving me this thing that I want, that means I'm not working hard enough for it.
2: Mm-hmm. Or that means
1: I'm not good enough for it. Or it mm-hmm. means I need to do more. Right. Like mm-hmm. I remember when before I really embraced my unconditional self worth being in relationships and feeling like I got to do this. Okay. Well, I'll try that. I'll try that. Right. Like it was sort of this achievement. Maybe I can achieve and earn their love. Right. And this and this and this and this. Mm-hmm. Right. And if they're not giving it to you, it's not. Oh, well, then maybe they're not a good fit. Maybe they don't have the capacity mm-hmm. to give the love that I need and deserve. And so maybe it's just not doesn't make sense mm-hmm. for us to be in a relationship. But what is wrong with me that they are treating me this way mm-hmm. and I must need to change. And so I better stay to figure out what I need to change to get them to maybe one day love me the way I need to be loved or the way I want to be loved. right? Because yeah, I mean, I probably won't find anybody else to love me the way I want to be loved because it is the problem. The problem is with me. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing enough. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that just sets people down, as you're saying, like a whole host of problematic, settling relationships. I always think it's interesting because I'm sure other communities, you know, have this conversation, but in among black women, Mm -hmm. The conversation around settling is often about, at least professional, I'll say among professional Mm -hmm. straight Black women, the conversation Mm -hmm. about settling is often about what kind of job does he have? What kind of car does he have? Mm -hmm. What school did he go to? It's very surface. And I think Mm -hmm. that we actually need to be having conversations that look like, what does it mean to settle for poor treatment? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Not feeling safe, not feeling held, not feeling Mm -hmm. affirmed not feeling
0: supported, <laughs> right? Like that's the real settling. That's the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can have all those external things and still not feel well in them. When we see this like cycling over and over again, right? It was like, oh, people have this and this and this. How could they not be happy? Mm-hmm. How could they not be this or this, right? It's like, well, we, we learn time and time again. Those are not the things, right? That lead to intentness to to safety in a relationship to a sense of security, to intimacy and closeness. Those are not the things. And you hear people who have the things say, yeah, the cars ain't the cars ain't it. The cars yeah. haven't changed this part of it. the cars make it look a certain way. And I can kind of get this, you know, quick booster, you know, dopamine. But the cars ain't the thing. Right. We've been taught that the car was like Zach, right. know, a whole, whole box about capitalism. Right. We've been taught these things. <laughs> Which means we end up looking for the things that aren't actually fulfilling to our souls and to our yes. spirits, right? That is related to safety, intimacy, closeness, right? Feeling yep. seen and feeling, heard, particularly as Black women, feeling seen and feeling heard in this relationship, right? And I think the mm. other piece of that is that if we are not able to, to recognize and understand um, our own worthiness, we, we, it also makes it hard to see other people's worthiness, Right. So it's mm. so all that stuff gets really conflated and really blurred. Right. So we end up projecting a lot of that onto other people that, oh, your worthiness is also by what you do for me and do in this way and, mm. and and have and buy and all that kind of stuff. Um so it ends up with a lot of people in relationships, right, who don't understand right these kind of nuances and kind of the, the underbellies of um of worthiness I'm like oh they are also enough as they are and I imagine that if more people were able to believe that about themselves and believe that about other people there'd be less of this fight for us to, to be in this way we're like no you, we need to be together versus no they're enough as they are I have other needs than what they're able to offer me they're not any less enough though they are enough as they are that what they are offering in this relationship might not be enough for me but they are mm-hmm. enough it says I am enough and what I'm offering in this relationship might not be enough for them. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change our enoughness. Right. And oftentimes people get that conflated, right? I can mm-hmm. be enough and not offer enough in this relationship to you. I'm still enough. Mm-hmm. I do not have what you need. Fine, right? But again, when we do not understand worthiness and enoughness, It then turns into, I'm not enough for you. You are not enough for me. And that sends us all, again, shame spiral, all that kind of stuff. Being able to separate my enoughness can also be very separate from, again, the relationships enoughness for you. I'm still worthy. I'm still whole. I'm still here. I still deserve all these things. But what you're able to offer in your enoughness to me isn't enough. And those are two Mm -hmm. different uh, layers of enough. Right. And it really
1: complicates the easier narrative, which is he's toxic. Oh, don't. She sucks. Don't give me. Started. I'm awful. Right. Because it's easier it to right break up with someone and throw them away <laughs> than to sit with the complicated feelings of, wow, we both tried our best and it mm-hmm. just it didn't work. And I'm mm-hmm. so disappointed mm-hmm. and I'm sad. And I'm frustrated, mm-hmm. right? But that's a harder, you know. I think it's a healthier place, but it's a yes. harder space to sit in than he just, he you know, just. Mm-hmm. trifling, she just blah blah.
0: Blame helps mm-hmm. us, it doesn't help us, right? But, but blame is a you know strategy for us to avoid grief and for us to avoid humility. Mm-hmm. That is literally like what it means we don't have to sit with anything in and of ourselves. It's like, oh, there are ways in which you know. Both of us contributed to this dynamic, right? But if I call nope. you toxic or narcissistic or all the uh, whatever the other things are, then I don't have to sit with any ownership right, of mm-hmm. how I contributed to our relational dynamic, right? There's a difference between like, yeah, I can't control your behaviors, but I did contribute in some way to this relationship dynamic. But again, if I, if I blame you or name you as something, then I don't have to sit with any of that. And I don't have to grieve any right. of it. Right, just means right. I get to blame it on you and, and that's it, right? But also mm-hmm. without grieving means we're also more than likely to react and try to stay in this thing. Me avoiding grief is trying to now convince you to be less toxic and less all this kind of stuff versus what would it look like if you grieved that this does not work and we tried our best and, and that's what relationships are about. This is why they are risky, right? Mm-hmm. And again, all of, that, all of that goes in kind of circles around ourselves um, and that's same way.
1: Mm-hmm. Well I think you know I wanted to ask you about your expertise in emotionally focused therapy. Mm-hmm. So I know you contributed to a book, um contributed a chapter to a book on this and a book on emotionally focused therapy or EFT for African American couples in particular. And I'm wondering sort of how some of the things that we're talking about how you how you use EFT to mm-hmm. support black couples in navigating some of these challenges, so first if you could start by just like a very small overview. I know where you know it's like we could take a whole semester long course or a couple audience right. right but like a very small overview so the listeners yeah. who are like, what is this right mm-hmm. have a sense and then if there are any sort of strategies or practices that you think about or frameworks that are helpful for couples or people navigating relationships, mm-hmm. whether romantic or otherwise that you mm-hmm. can share.
0: Yeah, so in a, in a in a quick way, right? What I what I would describe emotionally focused couple therapy as is as a you know um, modality or kind of a treatment theory um, that uses our emotional experiences as data, right, to help us better understand our needs in relationships and um, better understand how we behave to try to get those needs met. And without understanding those things, we end up reacting, right, and kind of demanding, kind of doing things to try to get our needs met, but we don't have much clarity. Right around that. We don't have much insight around that. And it means that we don't communicate that effectively, right, to our partners who we want to be in relationship with. So what emotional focused therapy um, really helps couples with is like getting down to like the bare bones of like what's happening under all of that mm. stuff. Because what you're doing and what your partner's seeing is that you're yelling, is that you are crying, is that you are slamming a door, is that you are hanging up the phone you're calling them names, is that you're icing them out by not talking to them, right? But neither of you have much language for what's happening under all that and where they're in in first place. Um, So what emotionally focused therapy can really help couples with is slowing that whole entire Mm -hmm. cycle down and providing one education to couples about what they tend to do, right? And what they tend to tell themselves in response to something their partner says or does them understanding where that comes from for them. So it, so eventually as one of the phases or stages um, is that we then connect that to when that began, like what was going on kind of before that predated this relationship where that became to be your strategy of this. Um, and with that kind of insight, um, really helping partners recreate this narrative. And oftentimes what we see in EFT is that when your partners have more of an understanding of the vulnerability That's oftentimes behind some of these behaviors, the the fear, the anxiety, the all that stuff. They can really soften and say, oh, well, I didn't. This is much more dramatic than actually So let me find a different example. Um, I didn't know that you you hung up the phone because that reminds you, right, of like abandonment Mm. stuff with your mom. Mm. I had no clue that those two things were connected. I would never want you to feel abandoned. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that's what would happen. I just thought you had an attitude and you were controlling, right? So it really mm-hmm. offers up this whole picture, right, of who and how our partners came to be. And then it allows us to, as a couple, to kind of to to focus or kind of refocus on, you know, given all this information, does this still work for me now, mm-hmm. essentially? Um, and unfor- not unfortunately, but as we know, socially, historically, politically, many of these psychological theories were not made with black people in mind and black culture in mind. Um, they didn't take in, in, into account nuances of history, the impact of enslavement, the impact of racism and massage noir, the impact of violence on our communities, the impact of trauma. None of these theories really have a root. Um, and what we are beginning to see now, obviously there's been a push in the last, you know, two years since George Floyd's murder to kind of open a lot of these things up. But what we've seen historically in a lot of these theories and models, um, is more people really infusing more cultural context into a lot of these theories.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: and then kind of recreating and kind of recreating different kinds of practices, right, within therapy and within kind of education um, to help contextualize so this kind of language can fit you, right? If I were to talk about EFT and EFT language to my Black couples, it's going to fall flat. <laughs> That's not a language that we we use mm-hmm. to kind of add it. and that's most people, but particularly with black couples, right? It's not it's not the same way in which we language our narratives, and the sometimes, oftentimes, the theories have ways in which they say we'll do these different things. So, for example, one of the the moves or strategies strategies in EFT is if somebody's feeling um, activated in some ways, the therapist might move in and get closer to the couple. And I said, mm-hmm. I'm not moving in and getting close to people who may have been traumatized. Like I'm not yeah. getting closer. No, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. I'm not rolling up on you.
2: Mm-hmm. Like that,
0: right? But those are things that without cultural context, they're not thinking about what mm-hmm. that might mean for somebody to be in a really vulnerable and heightened state. And I move in and get close and touch your mm-hmm. leg. I'm not touching nobody. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that like a first thing without, you know, accessing consent, like all these kinds of things right. around, right? So looking at how these models oftentimes fall flat. And what we're looking at now, particularly EFT, and using it with Black couples is how to infuse more language about our history and our culture, which also helps, one, create more of a strength based and kind of resilience model, um, but also doesn't blame them for not having the skills and not having the Mm -hmm. language, right? They weren't taught these things for a reason. You don't understand how to do this for these reasons. And without Mm -hmm. offering them that cultural context, it can leave a lot of clients feeling much more shame for like, Mm -hmm. well, why didn't I know that? And why couldn't I just tell her that I loved her? Mm -hmm. I know why you couldn't tell her that you loved Mm -hmm." her, right? The world has not allowed Black men to love in this way, right? So uh, that has been a beautiful way to be able to apply some of these theories, but also kind of bringing in, you know, what we understand about, you know, racial and cultural identity, what we understand about racism, about violence, about trauma, um, in terms of stress that shows up with couples, in terms of, you know, what couples need differently from each other when they feel like the world is against them, right? Because of mm-hmm. violence outside the home, right? Mm-hmm. My my Black couples need different things from each other, right? If you feel persecuted all the time outside, you have different needs in a right. relationship, right? So just right. kind of walk couples through those kinds of conversations um, really changes how they can access themselves, but also how they can access each other.
1: Mm, thank you for sharing that i think yeah i th- I can see that there's a lot of aspects of that can lend itself to trauma informed therapy and understanding how we get disconnected from our emotions, how we react, you know in response to them, and all of these things. you know it also feels like we're sort of coming full circle in terms of our conversation, right because where mm-hmm. we started was you sharing what it has looked like for you to connect to your Self worth, your unconditional Mm -hmm. self worth, and sort of this unpacking, right? This exploring, this curiosity. And I think there are similar themes that you're talking about using in EFT. And I think, you know, individuals can benefit from that too, right? Sort of like, what's underneath this? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to not ask that question from a place of self criticism and what's wrong with me? Why am I doing this? What's wrong with me? Right. That's so often the tone that we take with ourselves, but like, huh. Mm -hmm. Why did that get me so upset? Mm -hmm. Like, what was I feeling? Right. And often when I'm talking to clients, what do you feel in your body? Where does it show up? Mm -hmm. Right. And tuning in. And you were talking about that earlier, right? Like how do people learn to tune into their vital signs, to what they feel in their body? Because when we can get curious about that, we can one, offer ourselves more grace yeah. And then two, we can make more conscious decisions about how we want to respond and engage in the world versus feeling sort of mm-hmm. like we're just reacting to whatever's coming our way. And we're sort of victim to like, oh, this is coming at me and I have no we coping skills or I have skills. no way. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I'm hoping that the listeners can take this right both in terms of your, if you're in relationships, like, Mm -hmm. can you have conversations about, can you start with yourself? Like, what am I feeling and why do I get so upset? Mm -hmm. Right. And and then with yourself, right. Like to, to offer yourself that curiosity and that what is underneath this, where is this coming from? And I do think that often when we're really upset and activated, it's connected Mm -hmm. commonly to a sense of, Maybe I'm not worthy. Maybe I'm going to be rejected. Maybe I'm going to be left. Maybe this is a reminder, right? Like it it gets very sort of visceral because it feels like such a threat. And so that's where if we can come back to that and acknowledge and then offer ourselves some comfort and compassion, Mm -hmm. it can be a really powerful way to move through it. Um, without just feeling like ruled by the emotions or
0: triggers or whatever somebody else is doing Mm -hmm. or saying. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That, that the narrative you were just sharing about that enoughness that, hey, even though this is happening, even though we're in conflict, even though, you know, I don't feel great about them right now, I am still enough. I am still Mm -hmm. worthy. I am still whole as part of their kind of, we call like a de-escalation practice. How do you de-escalate yourself when you do get really riled up, right? Because without that kind of grounding, without some of those skills, we end up reacting to more. If I'm worried that I'm about to be rejected by you, I might get more controlling. I might get more demanding. I might pursue different things, right? If my worth, right? and my enoughness is connected to you doing these things, of course, I'm going to get totally thrown off when you can't do those things. And now I'm left in this you know, gap of, I can't control them. I can't make them do the thing but I need them to do the thing for me to feel worthy, right? It creates this Mm. whole really, really messy cycle, right? Versus being able to say, oh, there's something about them doing that thing that taps into me. I am worthy. I am good. I am safe, right? In myself, what do I need in these moments? And then being able to use that to say, oh, this is what I actually need in those moments, right? This is what can actually really be helpful based on my history, based on this, based on all those kind of things. And then to see, once you are both able to do that kind of work, where you actually meet in the middle. And is there a middle ground for you two to meet in, or is this actually not going to work? And that's where the discernment comes in. Right. The more you know that, the better you can discern, oh, is this something I want to continue fighting in this way? If the things that I, you know, connect to my kind of worth, worth, worthiness and kind of value in these ways are really, really opposite, right? In terms of what my partner needs and this and this and this way, this might not be a good fit, Mm -hmm. right? And not because we've necessarily done anything wrong, but because we have different needs.
1: Right. And that is
0: okay, right? But again, if we don't understand that that's okay, we keep trying to force this same thing, right? To be oftentimes what it might not be able to be. Right. Oftentimes couples are able to kind of figure some things out and we come to some really, really beautiful um, connections. And oftentimes what can also happen is that they can still come to really beautiful, intimate connections and now make a more um, make a better decision with clarity that says, oh, this is also not going to work
2: Mm -hmm. in this
0: clarity, in this love, in this intimacy, whatever this, you know, I think they call some type of like conscious uncoupling. Right. We're seeing Mm -hmm. a bit more Mm -hmm. of that that says like, oh, Okay, I can honor myself and honor this relationship by knowing that this is not a good fit. No harm, no well, sometimes right, no harm, no foul, right? But yeah. you also get your you get you also get to get your needs met over there. And I can't be the one mm-hmm. for that. Right. So it, it leads to greater understanding, insight. Um, but it, it can also help couples discern and um and separate with more love and with more intimacy, right? Which yeah. is very different we tend to. See, yeah, more kind of high conflict because people learn that breakups have to be this awful thing that be so painful. It has to be dragged out. It has to get to its worst place in order to end it. Versus, no, 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 we can end it way, way before that.
2: Mm -hmm. We can can
0: end this way, way before that, right? Right. Um, So it just just, just offers people so many different options um, of how to interact with each other, and then they can make more conscious decisions about what they want to do with that information. And oftentimes people need help with that. Oftentimes that's not something we get to in and of ourselves. Um, So a couple therapy, right, could really be helpful just to you to have, just for you to have more of that understanding. And what can also be really beautiful about the couple therapy process is that while the therapist is working with one partner, this other partner gets so much information that they don't typically Mm -hmm. get at the house or like over the phone. So oftentimes once they kind of get into the groove, they're just sitting back like, dang, I never
2: knew that about you.
0: I I had no clue that we were either that similar or that dissimilar, whichever it is, right? So couples get a lot of information about themselves also in the process without having to be in the line of fire. Okay. Right. I would have never gotten that out of you. You're right. Right. You're right. And that's but okay. Yeah. You have the information <laughs> now. What's it like to hear that about mm-hmm. her? You never knew that about her. You never knew that that's where she goes every time you slam the door. What's it like to hear that? And oftentimes, I it's like, I never knew that. Wow. Like, thank mm-hmm. you for sharing that. That changes everything for me, but you didn't have to do the pulling. Get, yeah. Um, so you can actually be a little bit softer when this kind of vulnerability does come out. So it really, like I said, it, it, it some t- oftentimes, right. On a um, biological, like neuron level changes, right. How people can relate to each other and how their bodies feel, right. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of the nervous system activation, all that stuff, it, it really changes people from the inside out
1: hmm. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, certainly more and more people are going to therapy, which is great. Yes. Yeah. And I hope that more and more people will also go to couples therapy and um, note from a couples therapist, go sooner rather than later. <laughs> because yes. it's it's a little tough when you've been in the in the trenches for 10 years yeah. and then you want a. 50 minutes a week to, to help you get out of that. Right. It's not, not I'm even. not saying we can't bi-weekly. do it.
0: They want but, bi-weekly right. 50 and six sessions. Can you get us right. on the right path? We got a trip coming up this summer and we just right. need to cool. Listen now, sooner, I'm good. Please. I'm good. Yeah. Come sooner yeah. mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and know that it's not scary. Research shows that, that couples typically wait between five and seven years after a crisis to seek mm. care. They wait that long. They they use therapy as a last resort. Mm-hmm. Versus, how do we kind of pull this in sooner? And that, off all, accessibility, all the different kinds of things, right? right. Therapy, all those things, um, uh, play a role as well. But uh, most people wait too long. Yes, too long, it may have been able to be repaired if it didn't look like this for five more years.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, Dr. Ayana, you've shared so much wisdom and mm-hmm. I know the listeners are going to get a lot out of it. And then I'm sure they're also going to want to connect with you further. Mm-hmm. So will you, will you just share how people can find you
0: and, and connect with you? I am. So the name of my practice is Ascension Behavioral Health. And again, I'm located in Atlanta, in Atlanta Georgia. Um, I, I, Probably run my mouth the most on social media on Instagram. Um, and so there I can be found at dr underscore Ayana underscore a, which is dr underscore a Y a N N a underscore a. Um, I also have a Facebook account um, of the same name, Ascension behavioral health. And my website is essential, ascension behavioral health.com.
1: Awesome. And we'll have all of that linked in the show notes. So if you okay. miss the spelling or anything, check the show notes and you'll be able to, you know, find, click the link, check out the website, follow Dr. Ayana on Instagram. And as always, we'd love for you to let us know what you think. So tag tag us in a post about the, the episode and what you're learning from it. Leave us a rating and review and we'd so appreciate it. Thank you again so much, Dr. Ayana, for your time, for your energy and for your wisdom. Yes. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me this week on the Unconditionally Worthy podcast. Make sure to visit my website, dradiagoodin.com and subscribe to the show on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. You can also follow me on social media at Dr. If you love the show, please leave a review on iTunes so we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Lastly, if you found this episode helpful and know someone who might benefit from hearing it, please share it. Thanks for listening and see you next episode. This episode was produced by Chris and Tiana and the music is by Wattaboy.